Hello and welcome to another episode of the Focus Seacast. I'm your host, Focus, and today on this episode, I'm talking with True of True Canna Genetics and the True Canna Cast. True and I cover a bunch of different subjects in this episode, including what the cannabis scene is like in Spain, growing vegetables, land race varieties, and autoflowers. But before we get to this episode, I'd like to announce that you can buy cannabis seeds on my website now using Bitcoin. Payment processing is still very difficult for people in the cannabis industry. A lot of seed companies get their payment processing dropped, and Bitcoin is a great solution to that. Instead of relying on banks and federal regulations, we can become our own bank. So check out focusseeds.com. Focus is spelled P-H-O-C-A-S. And if you have some Bitcoin, you can order yourself some cannabis seeds. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode. Yeah, so what's going on, True? Hey, bro. Good to speak to you. Yeah, so we were just talking about uh, spending some time. You were spending some time in Maine, up in... Yeah, in yeah I had friends that, were in, uh, that lived in Maine, so... I went out there on a few occasions and stayed with them. So I've become a big fan of that kind of uh, New England vibe with the nice autumns and beautiful summers, lots of nice lakes. I like lakes. My ideal life would be by a lake. After going to Maine and seeing the nice houses by lakes and how they are, yeah, I like that. That's, That's probably my ideal lifestyle if I could pick something. Yeah, really picturesque. I'm I'm a little bit more south, um, so it's it's not as. I mean, it's so cold in the winter time. It's it's uh, zero Celsius here right now, but you know, not not as bad. Maine can get really rough. I got some friends up there too, and it can get. You know, I think over the weekend it was like probably like, you know, like negative twenty or something like that. So it can get um like to the point of ridiculous where it actually causes problems with life. Like it is one of them kind of places where it's like. Yeah, if you've got, if you're a normal person trying to live a normal life, then the weather can get to the point where it's disruptive to your life. So, yeah, you yeah. got to kind of head for that. Yeah, but if you don't like people and uh, you just want to be on your own doing your thing, it's it's an excellent spot to be for sure. Good. Yeah. So I thought um, you could introduce yourself a little bit and and just say like, you know, who you are and how you got into growing. Yeah. Well, uh, my name's Barry. Uh, everyone in the industry calls me true because when I first started growing and got into the forums online, I picked my screen name, which was true cannabis. And then whenever we met up at like 420, because there, there was a tradition of, uh, on IC mag, everyone would meet up in Amsterdam every 420, April 20th. And it was kind of, this is like. I think first one was maybe 2004 that I went to and I started growing in 2000 and it was like at the back of, I think it was Jorge Cervantes grow Bible. There was some websites and one of the websites was overgrow.com. So I literally had made the decision. I got hold of from like one of the local head shops. I got hold of a copy of hashish by Rob Connell clock. And I was like, maybe I think about 19 at this time. I literally read that book from front to back and decided I'm going to grow. It's like it made me, first of all, it made me decide to give up tobacco because we're from a culture that smokes tobacco with all our cannabis. So I read that book, 
realized it was stupid and I'm like, right, I'm stopping that and I'm going to start growing. So then I decided because I had grown like a little outdoor plant before that was like probably seven grams of bud on it, like, but smoked amazing. So I had that like inspiration already, but now I'd read this book and I decided now I'm going to read a proper book, know what I'm doing. Once I get to the end of the book, then I'm going to get everything I need and start growing. So I read the whole Hey Savantas Grow Bible, got all my equipment, and at the back of the book, like I was saying, there were some websites. There was like Seeds Direct, which was a seed company. There was Overgrow.com, Heaven Stairway, uh, and a few other ones like that. But to go online in 2001 and find Overgrow, and see all of these people just doing amazing things was just a huge inspiration. So I was kind of off running once I found the internet and found that community of growers. And that was when I really like started to get into it in like 2001. And 2004 was the first IC Mag Cup I went to. So yeah, that was when things really started to get fun because I felt like I'd learned enough about growing by then to actually enter a competition. And IC Mag's just a wicked competition because you're voted by your peers. It's generally done where whoever enters can be a judge, but in a different category. And then all of the scores are public, so it goes online. So there's no like dodgy scoring or anything like that. So it always felt like a fair cup. Cool. Yeah. So do they still do the, the uh, IC Mag Cup? You know what? Because of COVID, it hasn't happened for the last couple of years. But before that, it did happen in uh, Barcelona. They moved it to Barcelona because the cannabis social clubs here are so well suited for an event like that that they changed it from Amsterdam to being in Barcelona. So it's still going strong. Still my favorite competition. So it's a lot of fun. And it's uh, one of the few that's still done for the love of it and not about the money. Yeah, that's, that's hard to come by now with a lot of the competitions. We have one that, uh, up here at the harvest cup, which is pretty good. It's, it's like, uh, it's one of the smaller competitions up in mass and it's, you know, pretty solid people that, that run it. So that's, that's the only one around here that I, that I'm like familiar with. I went, um, yeah, they didn't do it last year, but they did it the year before. And I went and volunteered there and just kind of like helped out. And it was, it was definitely a good time. So yeah, I wish, I wish we had more of that stuff going on here, but um, it's just kind of starting. So the last, the last two, three years. So. Yeah. The competitions can be good. I think to some degree, the fact that there's so much branding nowadays, it's kind of, it took the shine off of a lot of the competitions because it's dominated by brands and people that are like got the money to throw entries at the competition. Whereas on the smaller scale, when you know it's actual growers entering, then it's kind of, it's kind of, I prefer it when it's on that smaller scale rather than the big cups where, you know, it's just big money. And I'm not saying that people are buying the, the cups but if you've got four ops with 200 lamps in each one if you can't pull together a good entry out of that then i don't know what's going on but 
when it's someone who's doing their own little thing, then that's kind of like, those are the cups that I really enjoy. So the little ones, I think, are, are the more fun ones to actually be a part of now for myself even. Yeah, especially when it's with, you know, other growers judging too, and not just people who are kind of just generally in the industry. I think that yeah, makes it a lot yeah. more fun too. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll actually have good, good, useful feedback instead of just, you know, like nowadays, especially where I'm at, it's all about THC percentages. And like, if you go into a dispensary, that's like, I mean, that's, that's what sells here. So it's, you know, not really about, I mean, that and bag appeal, but like, you know, flavor, flavor isn't a huge thing. Terpenes aren't a huge thing. It's getting there, but it's, you know, it's crazy to me, you know, it's like walking into a liquor store and asking like, what's the highest proof, you know, it's like, it, it's going to take a long time for the buying public on a whole to be more educated. And even the way things are branded at the moment without being harsh, it kind of just shows the level of like, even care of what the product is from the buyer because it's all about branding and the branding is just flash fancy branding with no details about anything. I always dreamt that if, if you were buying flour, it would have all the information that you can imagine about it. It's like, never did I think that you'd buy something and it would just be some irrelevant name with a cartoon on it and no information whatsoever. That's crazy to me. If I was to buy flour, I want to know the genetics, the background, maybe a little write-up and a nice little like story, if there's some story to the genetics. Do you know what I mean? These are the kind of things that interest me, not a fancy name and some bright colors, but it seems like that does work for a lot of the marketing. Yeah, and here to make it more confusing too, um, like dispensaries for medical here, they don't use the actual strain names or the variety names. They come up with like, it's just like basically letters and numbers. And then you have to like go online and like look up what it actually is. So when you're in the dispensary, it'll be like, you know, EGL, which is the grower, you know, like B462 or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's just like, cause they don't want to, I don't know. There's, you know, controversy with the naming and when they put in the medical system here, that's, they, they did it for coding and it, yeah. So you have no idea basically what you're getting until you like figure it out. You gotta have Wi-Fi to know what you're buying. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but anyways, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know how like the scene is over where you are in Spain. Spain's got a really awesome scene. There's like, because there's the cannabis social clubs, which are having some issues at the moment, there's issues with the the government are now trying to take away the tag of cannabis social club and just make them social clubs after they've kind of charged them for the privilege of being a cannabis social club. But because Catalonia, where Barcelona is, is separate from the rest of Spain and they kind of govern themselves a little bit, Madrid, who really govern everyone, have now kind of wised up to what's going on and they're not happy about it. So now there's all kinds of backtracking and clubs having to close down. And it seems like there's just a lot of disruptive behavior towards the clubs at the moment. And it also seems that there'll be some legalization before too long. So it's weird. It often seems that before legalization comes, 
that governments are disruptive as possible to whatever is standing at the moment because for the last two years they've put them in a situation where they've barely been able to operate so it's like they they've sold them licenses so they can't really shut them down but they're putting in so many restrictions on them that from being over 300 clubs is probably like a hundred of those have dropped off in the last couple of years and that's the kind of way it seems to be going so it's been it's, it's a weird situation at the moment and a lot of the central clubs in Barcelona are getting a lot of problems and having a lot of restrictions thrown on them so it's been difficult but before that and before the last two years really where there's been so many restrictions on any kind of buildings and people gathering the scene was amazing here it was thriving it was the epicenter of the european cannabis scene by far is taken over amsterdam and the culture here that already existed has been built on by a mass of tourism for the cannabis culture and for the friendly nature that it has to cannabis users and also that's drawn in a variety of uh, people from all over europe and the world so that's meant that it's a rich rich mixture of cultures here so when you go out and you do the rounds of all the clubs you'll find clubs that are like italian run russian run german run swedish run english run there's like there's all these different connections in all of them and they all blend together and there is an amazing network of people from all over the world that all seem to have like quite a good connection here you, you go around and you're familiar with people even if you don't know them there's a level of friendliness that's like real nice when you go into clubs it's not like the coffee shop vibe where you feel like a customer you go into social clubs and you really do feel like a social club it's a homely vibe everyone's chilling there's never no pressure on anyone to be taking anything off of the menu you could go in with your own smoke your own drink sit there mind your own business and no one's ever going to care because you're a member and yeah you get treated real well and there's there's quite a lot of benefits to having that kind of vibe and the constant visitors i would rarely a week would go by where i wouldn't either have someone i know come into barcelona or someone from instagram reaching out to me seeing if i could introduce them to some clubs so it's, it's an amazing scene out here in Barcelona. It really is. And I hope it can get back to where it's at and the clubs that have struggled and been put under these restrictions can get back to running normal because a lot of them have had to stop having any flower on the premises. And yeah, there's been a whole lot of weird restrictions and people are under a lot of fear and having to deal with the struggle of maintaining all their outgoings with very little income at the moment by the looks of things. So yeah, it's difficult times at the moment, but on a whole, it's an incredible scene in Barcelona. Yeah, it's interesting. So for the clubs, like, is it like the club members are growing for the club or they have their own, the club has its own grow or like, how, how does that work? Officially, my understanding is that the club can have their own growers and then there's paperwork that goes with that. But unofficially, Barcelona's thriving with growers. So if you've got good flour, there's outlets for it through the clubs. 
Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure how they how they did it, you know, there, but that's pretty cool. So there's got to be a lot of home growers too, then in the area as well. Yeah, you probably have a really good home grow scene. Yeah, the the grow scene here is incredible, and it's evolved massively since when I came here six years ago. Like the strict, there was like five strains being grown, and you could that's all you could buy out of the hundred clubs or whatever that exist here. And now there's like three hundred clubs and. Every club's got like a menu, an extensive menu of everything you can imagine. So, yeah, it's uh, it's grown crazy like that. Cool. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about some varieties then. So, like, I'm curious to w- what's kind of the the stuff that's popular in your area as far as varieties go. Do you know what is strange? You know, because the the California scene has dominated a lot of the the mass buying public. So those strains are getting a lot of attention. But one thing that people do know is quality. And when there's bad batches, it can ruin a name or something. So one of the funny things that happened over here, for instance, is it gives you an idea of how the scene works, is when the Gilletto cut, got over here and it was holding a really good price then all of a sudden it got let out to some growers who did a terrible job of it and then all of a sudden every club that you went into had this horrible black gelato that just wouldn't burn because everyone had seen it got super excited bought a bunch of it and no one thought to even smoke it they were just so excited for a bit of gelato that was uh a better price that everyone just grabbed it up and then it was just like an albatross around people's necks for the next like year you'd constantly hear people saying i can get some gelato oh i can there's gelato around if you want it and no one wanted it and it was just sat there for ages in the end i started hearing about hash so i think they had to make hash of it in the end. oh yeah <laughs> yeah just to get just to get rid of it that's so, funny yeah. but slowly what happens is you do get good cuts from Cali and places like that that make their way to Barcelona. So as well as import flour getting on the menus, you have a lot of uh, local growers on the, on the small to large scale growing the same clones. And those are the ones that are kind of demanding the higher prices at the moment. You know, you can go into a club and always in the like 15 euro realm, and upwards would be cuts that are like California hyped up cookie fam cuts or, you know, some certain select one that's uh, been hyped up a lot. Uh, those are the ones that get the higher price. But at the same time, anything that's of a high standard will also get a high price. You know, like people know quality when they see it. And then uh, there's, there's always a variety of menus because as, as much as everyone likes to smoke the best, a lot of people will always go into a club, look at the menu, and grab five grams of the cheapest thing on the menu without giving it a second look, nothing. It's just, what's the cheapest thing on the menu? Give me five grams. Because this person needs to get that to last a certain amount of time. They might be a tobacco smoker as well that only smokes joints. So they're adding tobacco to the weed. So they'll make it last exactly how they need. 
and they're looking for a bargain. So it's it's always quite a variation here, and it's quite a there's a huge hash smoking culture in Barcelona. A lot of the, the Spanish people are by the culture of having Morocco so close. They're a hash smoking culture. So hash is very popular from Morocco, but also there's that high end hash now that everyone appreciates as well. So the, not only did the Spanish people appreciate it, but there's a big Italian scene here. And any of the clubs that are run by Italians, that hash is generally exquisite. They always love good hash and have good hash around. So yeah, for that reason, Barcelona has taken like on a lot of the, uh, the best techniques have been learned and practiced to a high level. And there are some incredible hash makers in Barcelona at a world level that can stand shoulder to shoulder with anyone, I would say. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been to my buddy got me really into hash over the last few years. Cause here it's like, it was for, it, for a long time, it was like only flour, you know, people had dabs, but even that was like not a huge thing. And now like on the East coast, it's starting to, it's starting to catch on finally a lot of like a lot of rosin, that kind of stuff. So we have like, we have uh, loads of competitions over here. There's one called the masters of rosin, which is a a club called HQ. They run that every year during Spanabis. They have a bunch of judges over and the entries in that are just obscene just obscene entries and yeah it's always cool to see all of these different competitions and the different things that people enter and each year there's like the measuring stick each year is kind of spanabis time in barcelona because what happens is all of the americans and canadians fly over everyone's sharing different things different flavors different techniques different genetics and it's an amazing melting pot for like the week before the event and the week after it's just thriving there's so many people in the city and then what happens is over the next year so many of those lessons by the enthusiastic people that are here that are just thriving at new information they start implementing new lessons that they've learned new tech uh, new equipment new genetics and all of these things over the next year then evolve and then everyone meets up again and it all happens again. So it's an incredible scene over here. And the evolution in the last six years has just been like rapid, super rapid. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I don't I feel like we don't have people from Europe really coming to the US. It seems more like everyone from the US goes there. So I'm sure you get like way more diversity of people bringing all kinds of like different hash and varieties and stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty awesome time. It is amazing. Everyone loves it. Like anyone you speak to, I don't know many people that have only been to Spanabis once. You know, like all all of the Americans and Canadians that I know, they come back. I can't think of anyone that came once and that was enough. It just becomes one of those things that people are like, yeah, do you know what? That'll have to be part of the yearly do list and yeah everyone just has a blast like i said it's it's crazy how it's extended now and literally it happens on the friday saturday sunday but now the whole week before and the whole week after that's kind of when all the socializing happens because on the three days of the event everyone's busy at the expo 
and actually working and doing stuff on their booths and things like that. So it ends up being a two-week event, really, where everyone's networking, different things happening at different clubs, different dinners where everyone's catching up, a couple of different competitions happen during that week. So, yeah, it's pretty dope. They have the ego clash at that, like during that week, which is an incredible event. So, yeah, Spanabis really is a special one. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe hopefully I'll get over there one day. It'd be pretty awesome to check out. But yeah, I was going to say, you're probably pretty, um, you know, being a breeder, you're probably pretty well, I mean, you're in a good spot since it doesn't seem like there's other, are there a lot of other breeders in the area or is that kind of not more unique? Do you know what? There are a lot of breeders, but there's, there's very, there's very few doing what I'm doing. You know, like there's one thing I always say to people is like, there's no right or wrong way to be breeding. Everyone has their own thing. Everyone can do what they want. And a lot of the stuff that exists at the moment are just crosses of other people's stuff. Whereas myself and a few other people like Trichome Jungle or Karma Genetics, there's a few European breeders who are doing actual line work with their own lines that they've had going over years and are actually breeding with some kind of direction and having a hypothesis as to what you might create rather than just going quickly, let me get Skittles and cross it with runts and gelato and apples and bananas and Gary Payton and and just mash all those things and then everyone's selling the same thing and it's like for seed sales it's a lot more niche what i'm doing but i feel for the long term and the bigger picture it's a lot more valuable because i've got land race that i want to breed and make f2s to preserve those and then i have my own lines and heirloom seeds that I want to blend all together because a lot of the newer things that are around at the moment could do with some vigor. And one of the things I have noticed when I've bred, for instance, the Filipino to a strain is the level of resistance and how fast it rooted and just general vigor of the plant was ridiculous compared to some of the genetics that have kind of been bred and overbred a lot nowadays and just don't have that kind of land race vigor that a lot of uh, those strains do have so it's cool to kind of mix the old with the new mix in some land race and then the thing that i'm really excited about is actually going through land race and getting things tested and seeing what kind of cannabinoids exist in some of these strains from more rarer places that haven't been bred because with things like cbg in such small percentages in most genetics it would be incredible to find something that had a high enough percentage that made it a real viable extract and gave it off in a lot higher amounts because the potential for that with things like Alzheimer's and brain disease and recovery seems to be quite large. So yeah, um, I've got some interesting things like some Indonesian seeds called Sumatra tripping weed. I've also got 
some seeds from Papua New Guinea. An Australian guy reached out to me on Instagram, and one of his friends was doing the what is it like the I can't remember the correct term for it, but mapping out the land in Papua New Guinea where there aren't like actual maps of the areas. And when they're mapping it all out, he's found like a village and got seeds off of them. So I've got some Papua New Guinea, like land race seeds from like some real offs, off out of nowhere, kind of not really traveled to place. So I'm really excited about those. And also because I was uh, working with a Filipino strain, I had someone from the Philippines reach out to me and they sent me four different varieties of Filipino genetics. So along with those, I've got a bunch of Pakistani from the Neelam Valley. I've got some Nepalese, some Afghani and a few more chocolate Thai. So those are the main ones that I'm looking to start going through now. Nice. Yeah. I, I really think line breeding is, is where it's going to, is where it's going to go, especially with all these home growers and stuff. A lot of them don't want to buy a pack of seeds and have three or four phenotypes and not know what they're going to get, especially if they're a, you know, a medical patient, they want to be able to know I can harvest this plant in, you know, 60, 65 days. And, you know, I'm going to get generally this, this caminoid and terpene profile instead of the stuff now or, you're doing these F1 crosses and you're getting different phenotypes that are coming out of it. You're getting different harvest times, you know, you're getting different, you know, terpene profiles and stuff. So yeah, I, you know, I think you're, you're real, you're on the money with doing, doing line work and actually getting stuff that's, you know, tested and has vigor and all that. Even just, I think even one of the things that's lacking a lot nowadays is people don't even know what their males are doing. You know, when people are breeding, they're not even taking the time to actually look at the offspring and figure out what are the common traits in the different offspring from the male to find out what traits the male even gives out. People are so mishmash of everything and quick to do things and on to the next thing and just hitting things blind without actually thinking about what it's going to do. That, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice when you see breeders out there that are actually doing something and have a direction with it. They've got a few goals in mind. You know, there was a time when people would be like, yeah, I'm trying to get it to stack better. I'm trying to get some resistance. I'm trying to get it to hold up the, the buds better, have stronger branches. You know, like there was, there were real goals towards making a plant better. And that seems never like people don't think about those things quite as much these days. There's a lot of people that are literally just breeding based on name and demand and there is a market for it. So I can't, I can't fault them and I can't say that it's all bad results because I've done elite to elite crosses before FEMS. I, I had a, I worked with a previous seed company and there was a period like it was probably 2009 around that period we were doing granddaddy purple reversals, a few different things like that. And those fem crosses like that, they were amazing. There was a demand for that at that time because that was when you couldn't get cuttings when hardly anyone was making fem seeds, to be honest, at that period of time. But now a lot of the stuff is literally just the latest something with everything that's hyped. And yeah, it's like you're then 
picking from a bunch of things that are really all pretty much too much of the original. I kind of like to think that if you're not, if I can't add something to something in a cross, then there's no point releasing what was already there. Like the Girl Scout cookies, I had that cross, like I had that cut for a long time, but I didn't just hit a bunch of things to the Girl Scout cookies. Instead, I made Ken Belly cooks and then searched out a male that had all the traits I wanted that I could use as a breeding tool. Then what I did is made things that wasn't just Girl Scout cookies again because that's not what I wanted to do, because the forum cut was great anyway. And most of the crosses that people done with it were just like not quite as good as the original cut. And that's just never what I wanted to do. That's like the thing that I hate. So I'm like, all right, I'll just make a regular cross, hit it with something, find the right male, and then just hunt for it for girls that are standout girls. But really, it was never about the girls. It was about the boy, because I managed to pick out a boy that when I crossed, it was recessive in the turp profile. So it allowed the females to dominate all of the turp profile, but it added the bag appeal that the modern buying public is obsessed with. You know that Girl Scout cookie look, the high blood to leaf ratio, the easy trim, lots of resin, dense nugs top to bottom. Like it added all of these traits, but I was able to breed it to my Terpzilla and add tropical fruit flavors to it, add it to my purple project and add lavender and palmer violet and those kind of terps to it, add it to the grape lemonade and make it a lemon cookie. And, you know, I was able to then have direction with all the different crosses and have a variety of things that had all of the bag appeal and had all of the positive traits of the cookies with a little chem twinge in there as well and then allowed for like top notes to all be dominated by the mother plant. So that's kind of how I try and breed when I'm trying to do things. I like to find a male, hit it with a bunch of females that I know, grow out the offspring, and then look for the common traits. And then you know what you're working with then, and you know what you can add to things, and if it's worth hitting things, and it gives you a good idea of what you're going to get most times. Yeah. And like, for me, I, I look more at populations than I do at um, individual plants. As far as cannabis, I do a lot of outdoor breeding with autoflowers. So I'm, you know, growing out 30, 40 plants at a time and then selecting, you know, the plants from that population that I want to have pollinate, you know, the males pollinate the females. So when it, when it gets done with it, I'm picking, you know, usually two or three males and they're hitting five or, you know, five to 10 females. So it's, it, yeah, which, which I don't see a lot of, you know, growers doing. Um, but for something like, you know, I got, I started mainly with vegetables. So in the vegetable breeding world, you're not taking, you know, necessarily one plant crossing it with an, like another single plant, you know, you have a population of plants that you're selecting from, um, you know, you might for a tomato take, one, one variety and pollinate to another variety, but then you're growing that F1 generation out, you know, a few times and, you know, either selecting out what you want or calling what you don't. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see that some people are starting to do that now with, with cannabis. Yeah. Like I say, really what it is about now is it's all about the buying public actually caring about what they're buying. And that's the only thing you can hope for really, because 
unless you go in the direction of just marketing for the hype and going down that route, you just have to stick to keeping things with information, showing people that you're doing the breeding, showing what the genetics are. And I think down, down, down the road, what's happened in places like Holland, where they said that like skunk got bred into everything where it just diluted all the original things down. So, and then everything's kind of the same and it's very generic. That's what's going to end up happening in all the different places that are just keep crossing the same things over again and again and again. So yeah, seeing some, real breeders out there there's quite a lot like on instagram now i keep for like i hunt for them a lot and look for like people that are growing land race stuff out and luckily there are a lot of passionate land race growers out there that are collecting seeds and growing them out so i do have a lot of hope because like i say it's when people start making those land race f f1s and crossing them together and that's when there's going to be some real magic unlocked again because we're kind of everything we're looking at is from magic that happened a long time ago and it's just gone on from there it's only now that people are driven to start because it's a lot of work that's the one thing i i know like a lot of people have been buying land race seeds from retailers that's kind of like a fad that happened in the last few years and i know a few people that do it uh, good guys and they collect amazing seeds but one of the things that a lot of people I don't think were ready for was how terrible a lot of land race are. <laughs> and that's where everyone has these like uh, lofty dreams of like, oh, land race. It's like, it's all going to be wonderful. And then they grow them and realize like, oh shit, most of these are terrible. Like, <laughs> like this isn't what I was expecting. And that's what people have to realize is that it's not going to be like a, a quick, easy grow out some land race and it's going to be great. It is going to be people that are able to grow out large populations or that are very lucky. It's like you might grow out a thousand and find one, or you might grow out 30 and find one. It's like I've, I've had it where I had some Afghanis and they came back from a soldier, a British soldier who got them from North Afghanistan and when I grew these plants out, the seeds initially, I don't know this for sure, but this is my suspicion. I remember one of the seeds being like considerably larger than all the rest. There was 37 in total. I grew them out and one of the plants grew really weird. From the beginning, it was doing that sing like single blade leaf. And then it started throwing out three blades that looked very OG Kush-like, but the plant was like a runt. I was having to lift it up above everything else. And then I kind of like marked it to like remember it. And then all of a sudden it kind of self-topped itself, burst into life and grew into the most outstanding, almost like OG gelato looking plant with the most exotic, incredible smell and everything else was just like lemony, average, barely any resin, maybe one keeper out of the other 36 that was barely considered worth keeping. But one that was just insane. 
Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Yeah, up in New England, we have a lot of people doing that now, getting like land uh, race varieties, especially from over in like Syria and stuff, where like the latitudes very similar. And like one of my friends was growing up, you know, did a pretty big grow out last year, um, and a friend of his too, who like lives lives you know down the road or whatever, and they were harvesting plants that were bigger and earlier than like anything else in the area you know and like there's so there is there's so much potential you know and he was he was getting blown away by what they were finding but yeah it takes a lot of work to go to actually to grow it all out to look through it you know see how see how it you know grows and and then doing the you know a lot more disappointment than than happiness when it comes to going through land race seeds yeah 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 i mean I, I have to have separate projects for those kind of things because generally it's not worth much even when it comes to extracting it to like the final results. Often I just end up running some hash with it all because the flower itself is just not up to much. So yeah, it is one of those labors of love to a certain degree, but with places that are able to start doing big hunts and doing things outside on a larger scale, there's quite a lot of possibility and over here in this side of the world, I know it is possible to get like, I know in Portugal and Spain, it's possible to get licensed to do like research. So, you know, to actually grow plants out on the basis of doing like the research into the cannabinoid profiles and things like that. So for me, that would be a dream, you know, to be able to, actually have a legit facility that was licensed over here and actually be able to put in those numbers and do some land race crosses and start getting some tests done and really look into what was in all of them, get them done at like a university or somewhere that's got a mass spectrometer and get the proper results so that we can find something magical because that's what I think it really needs on the medical side of things is for people to start delving into the land race things and looking for unique cannabinoid uh, profiles and percentages and different things that are more unique and have kind of been bred away from because we kind of know that CBD was bred away from and with things like I said with CBG and other things like that in such tiny percentages when they are present you can imagine that if a plant pops up that all of a sudden was like 3% CBG where normally it's like 0.0 or something like that, that that would be a groundbreaking plant. So I hope that there are people that are doing that kind of work and are willing to do those kind of hunts and find out and do the different crosses of different land races to see what else can be unlocked and discovered. Yeah, and even with you were saying like you know having the CBD bred out, one thing that's getting popular here are like the one to one varieties. And I have a I have a friend down south right now who's working with um with a hemp farm, and he's taking some of the stuff he's bred, and they're doing crosses between the different hemp varieties to try and get these different you know cannabinoid ratios. And like and and we're even seeing here. I think there was one of the cups in Oregon. I forget which one it was, but um Oregon or Washington. They were saying like the most popular variety that they they had that actually probably that scored the best um, was like a one to one, and I think it was like three percent CBD, three percent THC, or something like that. Um, that's what people people want a feeling of wellness. Yeah, it's, it's that wellness feeling, you know, when you actually I call it like hugging a bud because it feels cozy. You feel like you smoke a joint, and you're like ah, oh, wellness. 
no anxiety, no paranoia, no uneasiness, no like, am I still breathing or no weird thoughts like that? <laughs> it's like, that, like when I was younger, I liked shit like that. If I, if when I was like 18, 19, if I smoked something and started to have half of a panic attack, I'd laugh and go, oh, this is good weed. Like, that's like what you'd want. I'd walk home, get paranoid someone was following me and then think, fuck, you must be so high. <laughs> You're worrying about being followed home. And it's like, that's that kind of paranoid smoking hazes high. It's like, the older I get, the more I like a more mellow, chilled out. And uh, sativa wise, that's one of the things I was going to say is that the Filipino sativa that I crossed, I crossed that to the truth. And the results from that is like a dreamy hybrid that kind of has the sativa vibe to it. But I think the Filipino must have CBD content because even the, the Filipino on its own, it had that same kind of dreamy sativa vibe. You know, some sativas have you like really wired. This didn't. It was like things are a little bit more sharp. You have that kind of like that element to it where it's like a little bit trippy, but just sharp, a little bit brighter, where your eyes are a little bit more sensitive to light. But quite a calming, dreamy, daydream kind of like, yeah, you find yourself daydreaming on it. It's like that kind of high. And I like those kind of sativas where you can sit down and still do things, but not be falling asleep where you've smoked something that's kind of too indica dominant. Yeah. Yeah. So um thought we'd switch gears here a little bit. I was scrolling through your Instagram feed and I see you got some some peppers and some, you know, vegetables and stuff you've been growing out. I don't know if you want yeah. to talk about some yeah, of those chili peppers and stuff because i love that stuff yeah i made a real effort with my garden uh, i made an effort to like get a bunch of tomato plants down a bunch of uh, peppers and what i did is very last minute is i ordered like a box of uh, like 20 different varieties of chili pepper seeds off of amazon and i hardly had any time to plant them so the plants were only like tiny little plants, but I put them in like a bed. So I had like a whole bed with every different color of chilies growing on it. So that was amazing to grow those out this year. And I made sure that I saved seeds from everything. So growing those out was like the most fun. Like uh, of all the things I grew out, I really like enjoy growing out chilies. I've also in my garden a few years back, I planted a fig tree an avocado tree and a lemon tree. I didn't realize at the time that avocado trees just take forever to give you avocados. Now, whenever I see someone germinating avocado seed, I just laugh. I just think, what? I bought a fucking tree. Well, what are you going to get from a seed? <laughs> I've been here three years from a tree and got nothing. So when I see people on Instagram, like, yeah, I'm germinating my avocado seed. I think, I hope you're patient or living where you are, where you are for the rest of your life. Because if you want to see an avocado seed, you're going to turn into an actual avocado. You're going to need to be around for a good few years. So yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting to learn that. But also I grew out some amazing melons this year. I got some, uh, some heirloom variety of melon, one called Art Coombs Ancient Watermelon, or the Handled Watermelon, it's also called. And it's about this guy called Art Coombs that found a little vial in like some, I think it was like a mountain cavern in like 
Arkansas or somewhere like that. And they reckon it was like a thousand years old or some incredible amount of time. And inside it were like, I think he said maybe 30 or 40 melon seeds, but red. They're not like normal black ones. They're red. And he managed to grow some of them out, get them to germinate. And they've since been bred and people kind of share those seeds. You can buy them from a few like places online. But it's a really interesting watermelon to grow. So I grew out those and I grew out some Indian watermelon called a Kajari melon. So that was my experience of watermelons this year for the first time as well. So I really enjoyed that. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to grow out some, going to try to do some melons this year. I haven't, I haven't grown them in years, but they're, they're a little difficult where I'm at because we have such a short season. Um, so it's, it's hit or miss depending on how the weather was, you know, and, Last year it was super wet here, so we didn't we didn't do well with uh, with melons and stuff. But yeah, so that's pretty interesting that you're you have a, a climate where you could actually grow like avocado and stuff like that. Um, like yeah, we have amazing weather here. Yeah, so like yeah, what's what's the weather like? You guys don't get don't get very cold then, do you? It gets cold when it comes to winter. Down south in Spain, it stays a lot warmer. Up in Barcelona, which is a little bit higher up, it does get quite cold here. There's frost. Occasionally, we've had a little bit of snow, but never anything too crazy, and it's always very short. You know, like winter doesn't really last long. It's like end of January now. We've probably been getting two weeks where it's been really cold at the moment where there's a little bit of frost on the ground in the morning, and probably by mid-February that's going to be over with and the weather's going to start picking up again so there's like December wasn't bad at all we had a really mild December January a little bit cold and nothing too crazy to be honest well, that's nice so yeah you must do really well with the chilies and everything then since you have such a such a nice long season do you have any if I'm organized everything can go great if I am on top of things and I get things out in time it always goes great like my outdoor plants last year, I was super on point with, with the melons and everything. I was super on point. So it was my best year yet with everything. Like I fed myself like massively just from all the different like zucchinis and peppers and courgettes and tomatoes and different things that I was growing. I was pretty much feeding myself from my garden. So that was amazing to be able to do that, the feeling of actually feeding yourself, like just having to buy some pasta and then everything else you can kind of figure out from your own garden is amazing. And that was on a basic level. So I know that like I'm inspired to do it more each year. So it's something I advise people to do. If Even if it's just growing a chili plant and some herbs to flavor some food with, if that's all you've got space for, do that because I guarantee you the satisfaction from adding some mint, some coriander, and a chili from your own little pot that's on a windowsill is priceless. You can't buy that feeling of satisfaction, and it will just be contagious, and you'll want to grow more and more and more. So for me, it's definitely that way. I'm like, my neighbors inspired me massively because one of the neighbors on one side are an elderly couple that must be like in their 70s, they just come on the weekends and holidays to farm their house and have it as like a holiday home. And they've got the most incredible garden. 
that they do properly throughout the whole year and they always hang baskets over on the fence for me with like flat peaches big peaches peppers tomatoes like everything that they've got they give to me so yeah they've been incredible now i'm able to give them figs back and other little bits and pieces i gave them watermelons this year so it was amazing to be able to do that that was really uh, satisfying yeah that sounds awesome man yeah so is there anything else you want to you want to talk about i'm curious what genetics you're growing like what are what, what kind of things do you like what are your current favorite things to be smoking and growing well, uh, for cannabis right now, um, I've been working on a lot of autoflower stuff, like I was saying before. Um, so like, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, like, uh, Mandalorian genetics. Now he's called gnome genetics, but I have a friend who did some crosses with his work with the, with Anvil. And so I took those and I started doing, you know, larger grow outs of it at, at uh, at my place and, and really selecting and trying to you know, uh, adapt for, for new England conditions. Um, so I've been, been working on that for two or three years now. And I still think, uh, the terpenes have, uh, there's still a lot to go with as far as autoflowers. It doesn't seem like there's a, there's not a wide range of terpenes like available. A lot of stuff's like kind of like that fruity sweet, not a lot of gas and stuff. So I've been trying to work on that. I made a, made some few crosses with, um, with some cuts that I have, um, to try and, you know, I did uh, cross with that variety that I've been working with called Sherman Tactics. I took the F3 and crossed that with um, with a black chem cut, which is um, the Chem 91 uh, cross with Black Dog and uh, Bodhi Snow Lotus that a buddy of mine made. So it's got it's a real nice, almost kind of like sativa looking flowers, but you know it gets that that bigger and and you know from that from that Black Dog. And then so I'm trying to get more of that gassy terpenes from that into the into the sherman tactics and and so working working with stuff like that and then i've also been kind of growing out this this variety that i took um are you so are you familiar with uh mazar like the the yeah 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 yeah. so i have like the dutch passion version of the mazar it's like one of the first things i started growing when i was growing cannabis so I, i had a cut of that and then i had this stuff called uh truffle butter which is more of like um well, um, I'm trying to remember. It was like a blackberry Kush cross with uh, peanut butter breath, and um, so like very, very cookies kind of oriented. Um, you know, great terpene profile, especially from that blackberry Kush. It's got like this, this kind of like musky, you know, berry kind of thing going I had on. The blackberry Kush S1 back in the day, many, many years ago, like maybe 2006 or seven. There was blackberry Kush S1s from Oregon kid when he done the OG Kush S1s. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean about that. Amazing plant. Yeah, so I I, I crossed those two because I like the Mazar is like this real short, stout, kind of chunky plant. You know, it's just one of those, you know, n- not anything great in the terpene profiles, but as far as just it's easy to grow. Like I was saying, short stacks, and the and the and the truffle butter was just like it. I've I've done the you know I've gotten a plant that doesn't stretch as much, but that thing like it stretches more than any other plant I've ever seen. Like when I, when I flip it into flower, it, it probably stretches like two and a half feet. It's, it's crazy. So, you know, three feet or something like I'll, I'll start them. And by the time, like they're almost done, they're like hitting, hitting my lights. So I've been trying to like breed in plants that are a little bit more stout 
to try and get some of that that stretch out of there. But um, so I've been working with with that stuff lately as far as cancer I know, like, goes. I've I've run on two occasions now. I've run auto flowers earlier on in the season, and I run like a bunch of different ones from different people, different strains, and it's like they were so hit and miss. There was so, like there was a couple where I was like, whoa. This one looks incredible, but then there were some that I'm like, geez, this one is barely going to be worth extracting. Like it was like looking horrendous. But when you see what's possible, I realize like, oh, now I understand why people are so like focused on making this work. Because if you can, like for me, to be able to throw a hundred auto flowers on my rooftop early on in the season while I'm vegging my latest season stuff indoors and getting nice little plants to go outside. Meanwhile, I can get a quick auto flower crop done on the roof. And as long as I keep it kind of below, just below my chest height, it's perfect on my rooftop. No one can see up and I can have like a little sea of green. So for me, auto flowers are incredible to be able to do that because I'll always uh, drag a couple plants in and like light depth them. But I can only do that with two or three big plants and pull them into the bedroom every night. And even that's a pain in the ass. So the idea of being able to get something consistent, because normally I do just say I do a hundred. It's like, realistically, there's five standouts, 25 that are like, acceptable and then the rest are varying degrees of like meh, not so hot because you're you're thinking about your normal outdoor crop and what i'm looking at a light depth plant and a light depth plant midsummer out here produces insane like you could like i've moved it to clubs before and i'm like you know this is outdoor right and they're like oh really i'm like yeah i just want to tell you because i I don't care about telling you it's still, it is what it is. The quality is what the quality is regardless of where it's grown. But I'm just letting you know, this is outdoor. So when you get some real good auto flowers, I've realized like, yeah, now I understand why there's people out there that are finding those winners and getting the lines dialed in because the potential is fucking crazy. And the amount of people that actually want auto flowers is insane. It's one of the things that I always get asked for, but I don't have no auto flower lines because I just haven't had the time to dedicate to doing it because it, it takes time to really get to the kind of results that I'd like to. And whereas a lot of seed companies, they're just buying their auto flowers off of someone else. You know, like a lot of the major brands, they just do all their own stuff and then they grab the auto flowers off someone else they lie about what the genetics are, kind of rebrand it to sound like they did it. And then they sell one auto flower strain in their catalog. And it's so transparent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially for where I'm at too, like auto flowers here, it's really hard. It's not really hard to do photos, but like we get our season's pretty short, especially compared to you. And it starts getting rainy and cold, you know, like end of September, so like a lot, we have a lot of problems with like botrytis, butter rot, stuff like that. Yeah, so we, we have a weird thing here. What happens is the last week of September and the first week of October 
is always horrible, but then the rest of October picks up and then November gets kind of bad again. But we have this weird little period. So I've now learned to, to have things that are ready quick at the end of September and then sativa hybrids that go longer till the end of October, but are more resistant and don't get the issues. Because yeah. the, Filipino, the Filipino hybrids that I've got, it will ne- it's like they never get powdery mildew. It's like, and, they, and the bud structure, they don't seem to attract caterpillars as bad as some of the indica plants either. So they don't get bud rot as bad. They like don't hold moisture in them quite as bad. So that was kind of the key to me having a good season last year was the quick finishing flowers that I could use to make hash and then the longer flowering ones that finished real good and the flowers just beautiful. So yeah, I kind of, I have, I have a, a similar issue here with based that last those couple of weeks if you've got the wrong genetics, those two weeks where it's shitty, you, you just can get powdery mildew. For many years previously, I've got caught out by powdery mildew. That's the one that's horrendous here. I'm kind of in a mountain area as well, so you get real pockets of humidity and crazy humidity spikes. So if you haven't got something that's super resistant to powdery mildew, then you'll quickly become victim to that. So for me, that's one of the things that I've been breeding specifically for resistance to yeah well last year here it rained once a week uh yeah once a week for the entire summer so like we had a ton of power mildew and stuff like that <clears throat> so it was nice to be able to be like all right i'm playing these in june and like they're out by you know august and you know and then i can let my photos finish up but i'm not really you know if they don't do as well it doesn't really matter because i already got in a nice a nice you know cedar on and and I had yeah. something I could actually work with. So it's good. It's good to have that kind of, you know, few harvests. Yeah, hundred percent. I never keep my eggs in one basket. Now I make sure I have a couple of different things, a yeah. couple of different in different times, some in the ground, some in some pots, some up, some down, some on a roof. Yeah. Make sure it's spread about now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to do uh well, I've been doing fem autos, which I think are great too. Cause then once you start getting into more of the production end, especially in greenhouse, where, you know, spaces, you know, it costs a lot to maintain a plant, you know, be able to be like, I know this, the seed is, is, you know, going to be a, a female plant and then be able to tell them, yeah, and it's going to be harvestable within, you know, 70, 75 days from when you plant the seed, like that's, you know, in a greenhouse, that's one of the most sought after things at the moment, good feminized autos you can, you can't get enough of. There's, so, there's there's lots of bad ones out there, but if you've got a good one, you'll struggle to make enough to meet demand. Because yeah, that's that's what I'm running into now, yeah. Massively, like huge amounts of those go into all different countries. You get, there's like seed, I know a seed broker that will buy feminized seeds all the time and feminize all O's when it's a good variety, then they start buying like hundreds of thousands and they just want loads of seeds, so... Yeah, it's definitely a huge market for the feminized autos. Yeah, and then um, as far as my my real bread and butter are you know vegetable seeds. That's that's kind of what I do. Is I have a vegetable seed farm, so I'm growing a ton of different like chili peppers, tomato plants, you know, lots of herbs, greens. Do a lot of lettuce stuff like that. So yeah, I'll have to. We have to trade some seeds, man. 
I have, yeah, to, I have to get some seeds from you. I, I'm sure it's it's probably not. I've traded overseas before, so. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. We have to do a trade. That'd be awesome. I got some yeah. loads of seeds here, so I'll get you some of those for sure. Yeah, and I'll get you some cool chilies. Like I got um, an Nepalese variety of chili that that I got from uh, this guy who I was working with. He, you know, he these were like the the plants that they grew in his in his village back in Nepal, and so he gifted me some of the some of the dried chilies. And he's like, you know, there's seeds in there. He's like, I bet you can get them to germinate. And I grew them out uh, this year. And they were like, I got these crazy, they're like, these pepper plants are like six feet tall, like huge wide leaves and like just covered with these little tiny red, you know, peppers that are probably like the size of like a small grape. And they're like, they're, they're wicked hot, but it's not the heat. That's like that lasts super long. You know, it's like a, this really sharp, quick heat. So, you know, they were, they were, tasty and he he makes like a fermented chili paste out of him and uh so he gave me some of that to try and it was it was like nothing i've ever tasted before so i was amazed from having the 15 varieties the different flavors so many of them like how fragrant some of the chilies are you know like as hot as they are they're like whoa the amount of like delicate little fragrant notes to some of them you're like whoa this is crazy i didn't quite realize how delicate the flavors were as as powerful as they were so yeah it's incredible what you can make out of them yeah for sure well i don't want to i know it's getting late for you so i don't want to i don't want to keep you up too late but um it's been awesome talking we'll definitely do this again sometime yeah yeah for sure man um why don't you give your uh plugs information where everyone can you know get in contact you you know contact you follow you whatever yep on instagram you can find me at true cannabis that's t-r-u-e-c-a-n-n-a-b-l-i-s-s and also at true cannacast that's the other place and another place to check me out is on icmag.com you go on there there's a little sub forum for true canna genetics so you can always hit me up there if you've got any questions or on instagram and i'm happy to help with anything i can awesome well, it was great talking with you pleasure bro well that's it for this episode i'd like to thank true for coming on as always you can find me on instagram at focus seeds or check out my website focusseeds.com focus is spelled p-h-o-c-a-s happy growing peace